Well, good morning. Hope you're having a great weekend. It's good to see you here today. If you are a guest or a visitor here with us today, we're glad that you're here. I uh, hope you feel at home here at West Cabarrus Church. We're going to be in John chapter 10. Today we've been going through this series through the Gospel of John. And uh, it works out really well because John 10 is the, the last chapter on Jesus' public ministry. And so we'll see in chapter 11 that uh, he goes and visits some friends and does an amazing, amazing work uh, in, a, in a private sense. But his last public teaching and his last public ministry we find here in John chapter 10. And the reason why that's a good thing, the reason why that works out well for us is because we're going to hit pause uh, here in John chapter 10 as we finish it today. And we're going to take the summer to go through two different series, and then we'll jump back into John chapter 11 uh, as we start back in the fall, as our small groups start back up and as we go through sermon alignment again. So during the summer, let me just give you a preview of where we're going. We're going to look first at a series called Everyday Worship, where we look at the eternal purpose that God has for us and how we live that out in the kind of mundane pieces of our lives. We want to kind of shoot down the everyday parts of our lives with eternal purpose and significance, because God does care about those things that we see, see as maybe insignificant. So we're going to look at things that like how we rest, how we work, how we do family, how, how we just kind of live life, and we hit specific, specific topics that we'll find God's Word speaks to uh, for us. So we'll start that next Sunday. And then after that, we're going to go through the book of Ruth. And maybe you've heard of the book of Ruth, but you're not that familiar. But it's a, it's a beautiful story of a life that goes from ruin to redemption, Ruin to redemption. And so that's what we're going to see uh, later this summer in the book of Ruth. But today we're in the Gospel of John, John chapter 10. And we're going to start in verse 1. And let's see what God's word has to say to us today. Jesus speaking says this in verse 1 Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and his sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger will not follow, but they flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the stranger. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. All right, so if you're here today and you've heard me read these first few verses and you're like, I have no idea what he's talking about, you're in great company. Even as I was preparing this week and reading this, I'm like, what are these first few verses about? You're not alone, okay? The, he, Jesus said that and the people didn't understand it. So what Jesus is going to do in these next few verses that we're going to read, he's going to take something that's kind of on the middle shelf and he's going to put it at the very lowest shelf for us to understand. So verse 7, Jesus is going to dumb it down a little bit for us and I'm thankful for that. So Jesus said again to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for, for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not the shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and flees the sheep. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. 
He flees. He's a hired man and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. And I must, I must bring them in also. And they will listen to my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. Now, there was a great division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? And others said, these are not the words of one who's impressed by a demon. How, how can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of God. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we praise you first for your patience with us. Lord, you're so patient with us as we try to understand you, the eternal God, with our small, finite minds. God, thank you for your patience and your patience that allows you to paint a picture of who you are in this passage. And Lord, help us to see clearly that you are the door that leads to eternal life, that you are the good shepherd that that guides us to abundant life. Lord, would you help us this morning who are weary of heart to rest in these truths? And Lord, would you help those in this room that are hard-hearted to believe these truths this morning. Now in a moment of silence, let me just invite you to pray that God would show you who he is, that you would better understand him today through this passage. Pray now. Would you pray also for me that God would sustain my voice as we preach this morning, but also that his truth would, would settle well in our hearts. So pray for me as I speak his truth this morning. Lord Jesus, you tell us that these words were written so that we would believe that you are the Christ and that believing we would have life. And this passage tells us not just life, but abundant life. And so thank you for that. And I ask you would open up our eyes, soften our hearts, that we believe these truths today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, some of you may remember a few months back, we had um, a couple people on our stage that we were praying for and launching out uh, to go on a midterm mission trip, which midterm means it's not just like one week or a couple years. It's somewhere between a week and a year, right? And so we had two that, that went out on the mission field and they've been able to share the gospel in some amazing ways. But one specifically I wanted to share with you today, I got an email this past week from Taylor. Some of you may know her well, some of you may not, but what she shared in this email was just really encouraging. And I asked her if I could share today. She's like, yeah, please. And uh, just, I think as I was reading what she was emailing this week, this passage continued to come to my mind. Let me read the email to you and then I'll tell you why. Taylor's been sharing the gospel with these, uh, these girls in this, this country and one of them came to know Christ. And this is what she writes about this. She says, watching a new believer 
who had very little Bible knowledge get to know the Lord is just about the coolest thing I have ever seen. Her relationship with God is personal and real. She said, sadly, I have to prod so many people in America to even open their Bible and read, but not this girl. She is genuinely excited to get into the word. All the time during Bible study, she stops and she praises God for what he's showing her. She said this week, her eyes filled with tears when she discovered the truth that Jesus intercedes on her behalf. Tears flowed from her eyes as she realized that God loves her lost friends and her lost family more than she does. He longs for their salvation more deeply than she does. Her eyes lit up again when she remembered that she had been lost, but God saved her in miraculous ways. Taylor wrote, all of this conversation I was having was happening in an apartment right across the street from a Muslim mosque as the call of prayer was going off. She said, a believer getting to know God is just about the sweetest, most intimate way is happening right in front of me. I just sat back and I listened and I watched God move. I thought to myself, fighting back my own tears, this is what the Great Commission is all about. I was literally watching God personally reveal himself to a new believer and seeing it, it made me wonder, do I see God that personally and that powerfully in my own life? Am I remembering that this God of the Bible that we're studying is the same God who is alive and working around me today? That's amazing, church. This is a piece of the answered prayers for us as a church. This year, we've been challenging us as a church to pray Psalm 67, that we would be blessed by God, and then in order to be a blessing to others, that his name would be known to the ends of the earth. This is a small answer to that prayer that you and I have been praying. We're seeing people hear about Jesus Christ and believe. And so don't grow weary in praying. Continue to pray Psalm 67 and continue to pray that his name and his fame would make it from neighborhoods to nations. But as I read this email, not only did I say this is an answer to prayer, but I read this email and I thought, man, this is so applicable to this passage. See, John 10 is maybe a familiar passage for for many of you that Jesus is the good shepherd. And and if not John 10, then then maybe you think about Psalm 23, that the Lord is my shepherd. And it can be so easy for us to think about these words and it not become personal or powerful to us. And I have prayed that that would not be true for us today, that we would stand in awe of God's beauty and his greatness and his glory as we look at this passage May we respond in the same ways to the living God that this girl is responding halfway around the world. May we respond in those same ways today. And so you might be saying, well, Ryan, what is so beautiful about this passage? What is so great? What should stir my heart to worship and praise God? Well, several things I want to share with you today. But first is this. May we stand in awe of the fact that Jesus is the door. Jesus is the door that leads to eternal life. Now, you might be thinking, that does not sound that awe-inspiring. <laughs> Jesus is a door? Like, like, a, like, a, like a door? Like that's supposed to stir in me, like this excitement and worship? Why is that so exciting? Well, think about this metaphor for a second. What is the purpose of a door? The door leads you somewhere. That's the whole purpose of a door. 
we don't have doors like this image right here. You won't ever find a door that's like open up like, oh, there's a wall, let's close it. No, like why would you waste time putting a door that doesn't lead somewhere? When Jesus gives us this image of I am the door, he's saying that I lead you somewhere. When you come in and you walk through me, what you find is a map in verse 9 of where he leads us. Verses 9 and verse 10 is going to tell us this is where the door of Christ leads us. And the first thing he's going to tell us, the first place he's going to lead us is to eternal life. Jesus is the door that leads to eternal life. Look at verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. That is eternal life. This is, this is great in how it's even worded. It doesn't say if you come to the door, you may be saved. You might be saved if you walk through the door. No, Jesus is clear here. He says, if you come to me, you believe in my death and my resurrection, you trust in that, and you walk through this door, you will be saved. Jesus is offering us salvation. He's the door that leads to salvation. And the beautiful thing about it is if we walk through this door by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, we cannot lose this gift that God gives us. Jesus later on in this chapter is going to highlight that. John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. This should stir our hearts to rest in him. If we've trusted in him for our salvation and we believe in him, then we can never lose the salvation that he's given us. No one can snatch us out of his hand. No one. That includes the devil. That includes yourself. That includes your bad decisions. We are all safe and secure if we've walked through the door of Jesus Christ and believed and trust in him. May our hope rest in him and him alone and not in yourself. If you're resting in yourself to trust and hope that you're going to find salvation, it is a restless life. But salvation rests in the work of Jesus Christ. And so may we look to him and the work that he has done and find rest for a weary soul. Now, the beautiful thing of this passage is Jesus doesn't just offer salvation. Like, come in. And be saved, and then I'm done with you until you get to heaven one day. That's not how this works. Jesus doesn't say, well, I've saved you. That's enough. Now just suffer living in this life as sheep among wolves. Good luck. I'll see you in heaven. That's not what Jesus says. Look back at verse 9. Remember, this is the map of where this door leads us. You will be saved, and you will go in, and you will go out. What he's saying right here with the picture he's painting is a picture of freedom and liberty. You see this image of a door in its truest sense is what a shepherd would do. He would be the door. They would put these, these fences up or even temporary fences up and they would leave one little opening and that's where the shepherd would lay down. And he would be the door that would allow the sheep to, to come in for protection or to go out and to find pasture and provision. What Jesus is saying in this moment is I'm this door that allows people to come in and allow people to go out. And I love that. I love that picture. Because Jesus isn't just like, well, you come in and then you're pinned in and you can never get out. 
I mean, if a sheep came in and there's a small area of fencing that he's trapped in, he'll eventually starve to death, right? But Jesus is like, no, 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 there's a time that you come in and you find safety and protection as I stand there at the door, as I am the door. And then there's times you're going to go out in that security, in that safety to pasture and you're going to have plenty to eat. And Jesus in the moment, that's what he's saying. He's saying, I will save you. Not only will I save you, I will provide for you. I will protect you. I will give you plenty, all that you need. Now, I love how Jesus speaks to some of our greatest fears in this moment because some of us sit here and we read this and we think or we have thought he'll save us. Man, I'll go in and out. I, I don't know. I'm afraid that if I come to Jesus and I have to give up certain things, then I'm going to miss out on life. I'm going to miss out on some of the greatest joys of life. That's what's going to happen. So Jesus, for, for those of you that feel that tension on your heart, he's going to say in verse 10, I came that they would have life. And not just life. I came that they would have it abundantly. Abundantly. Jesus didn't have to say those words. But he chose to. I came that they would have life and have it abundantly to the fullest. Jesus doesn't want you just to survive he wants you to thrive. That's what he's saying in that moment. But our hearts get gripped with fear like it did for Adam and Eve that if we follow God and we completely trust in God, then we're going to miss out on something. And Jesus is saying, you're not going to miss out on anything. I have something better than anything the world has to offer. You see, we follow Jesus not because he makes our life better, but because he's better than life. And that's what he's offering right here. Not just life, but abundant life because he's better than life. And that's the beauty of Jesus in this moment. This is what should be stirring our hearts to worship him. So you see, Jesus is the door that leads to that abundant life that we so desperately long for. We want this weighty life. We want this abundant life. So often we feel so thin. One of our favorite authors, he describes one of his characters like this. He says that his life was like butter that was scraped over too much bread. Man, that's how many of us feel. That our life is just like butter that's scraped over too much bread. What our hearts really long for is more life and less bread. And that's what Jesus is offering in this moment. That's what he's looking at us and he's like, come to me, come through this door and you will find abundant life. I will give you more than all this world has to offer. I will satisfy you in the moment, yes, but I will fulfill that too. And this is what Jesus, in this moment, as he talks about being the door, this is what he's inviting us to take part in. And in verse 10, he highlights the, the contrast of this. And Jesus came that we would find salvation, that we'd find freedom, that we'd find abundant life. But then in verse 10, he says, but guess what? There's also a thief. There's a thief to come, and he gives three things as well, but he comes to still to kill and to destroy. That's what the thief comes to do. Now, earlier in this passage, he, he uses it in plural. Jesus talks about thieves and robbers, which we'll get to that in a minute. I think it's a picture of what's going on in the book of Ezekiel. But right here in verse 10, Jesus uses the singular, the thief. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. What he's speaking about right here is the, our enemy, Satan. And you need to hear where we stand as a church. And if you do not believe this, then I, I would plead with you too because it will change the way you live. But we believe as a church that Satan is a real person. 
He is. He's active and he's moving. He's not just a mascot for a basketball team. He's not just a cartoon figure with a pitchfork. He's a real active person that's interacting in this world. And his mission is right here, Jesus says, is to steal and to kill and to destroy. This is what he does. This is his role. And we have to understand this truth that his role has been to deceive you here on earth and then to accuse you in heaven. That is what Satan does. He comes in and he will speak lies to you and he will try to deceive you and, and get you to not believe the truth of God's word and the life that he wants to give you. And so you'll start to believe these lies and be deceived. And as you're deceived and as you believe these lies, then Satan before God in heaven says, look at what he's doing. Look at what he's doing. He doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you. Look at him. And he stands and accuses you. This is what Satan does. He deceives and he accuses. You see, we have to understand he's a real person and this is his mission. This is his goal. To steal and to kill and destroy. How does he do that? Like this. Satan is not going to point out the heartache that will come from your sin. He won't do it. He won't point out in relationships what, what, what it will cost you and how it will ruin your relationships with the lust of sin in your life. He's not going to show you that. He's certainly not going to point out the judgment that will inevitably weight you over your greed and your selfishness as you run from God on your own way. He won't reveal how the busyness in your life that keeps you from God will rob you of your family and your holiness. He's not going to show you that. He's not. Why? Because he's a thief. And that's exactly what these do. They deceive. A thief, at least a good thief, is not going to come to your house hey, tomorrow night I'm going to come in, I'm going to steal all the stuff in your house. So if you would just like leave the door unlocked, that'd be really helpful. He doesn't do that. That's not what a good thief does. A good thief knows when you're not there, he comes to your house, he steals your stuff, and a really good thief will cover his tracks so you don't even know the person who stole it from you. And this is what Satan does, the enemy does for you. He will sneak into your life, get you to believe the lies of this world, to believe his lies. And as you believe those lies and you turn around, you're like, man, how did my family fall apart? And how did I live, end up in so much debt? How am I addicted to all these things? Because you were deceived and you don't even realize you were deceived by the enemy. This is what he does. And Jesus is pleading with you and pleading with me. Do not believe these lies. Do not be deceived because he has come to steal and to kill and to destroy. And this is what he does. You see, many of us are deceived thinking, well, this is where I really find my freedom, following my own will and my own way. Like following Jesus, man, there's these rules and things I got to do and it's kind of robbing me of my life. That's a deception. You see, following Jesus is where we find life and find it abundantly. I've shared with you this illustration before, but you can think about it like this. Imagine going skydiving, okay? There's two people. One person gets their helmet on, gets their backpack on, gets their goggles on, and they're ready to, to skydive, Right? They got their parachute. They're ready to go. So they jump out of the plane and they're falling down. And there's another person that doesn't have goggles, doesn't have a helmet, doesn't have those straps on them, and they jump out of the plane and they're skydiving down, right? The person with no restraints on them and no helmet, no goggles is like, oh, I'm so free. This is so amazing. I'm just out here. And the other person might feel really constrained because I've got straps and I've got a helmet, I've got goggles. And yet who can really enjoy that? I mean, the one who's out there with no parachute and no safety, they might be enjoying it in the moment, but they are falling to their doom. They're falling to their death. They might feel free, 
but it's freeing unto death. Now the other person <laughs> sits there with their parachute on knowing that they are safe and secure and so they can enjoy this moment. They can look out and see this beautiful skyline and enjoy it. Why? Because the parachute robs them of joy? No. Because the parachute allows them to enjoy that moment. You see, many of us think, well, God's word is only to hold me back from really enjoying life. When the reality is, when we turn away from this, all we find is death and destruction. But what Jesus is saying is, come to me. These, these things I give you in my word are not to restrain you, but to help you to live in freedom and joy. I'm telling you to do these things and to not do these things so that you wouldn't have pain and suffering in these areas of your life, that you would have life and have it abundantly. So may you not believe the lie that if I come to Christ, then my life is gone. When you come to Christ, your life is truly found. Your life is truly found. May this stir our hearts in a personal and powerful way that we would worship Jesus as we look to him and say, you are the door that leads to my eternal life, not just my heavenly life, but the eternal life that starts now in Christ. It's abundant life. Secondly, I pray that we would stand in awe and wonder of God from this passage because it shows us that he's a good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd and this good shepherd offers us abundant life. He offers us abundant life. This is what he does. When Jesus makes this claim that he's the good shepherd, this is almost a stamp of guarantee that he can give us abundant life when the rest of the world can't. And the reason why is because when Jesus says he's the good shepherd, he's highlighting ultimately that he is God. It's interesting, this image of, of shepherd is used multiple places in the Bible. You might think, well, it's just Psalm 23. No, you can go back to Genesis chapter 49, first book of the Bible, Genesis 49, and God at that point calls himself a shepherd. Even there, this is a term that God describes for himself. And so Jesus, when he makes this claim that I am the good shepherd, what he's saying is, I'm the God who has all power and authority and might in order to give you abundant life. I can do it because I'm God. I'm the good shepherd. And I believe that Jesus is ultimately thinking about Ezekiel chapter 34 when he says this statement. Because Ezekiel 34 uses some of the exact same language that Jesus is using in John 10. Ezekiel 34, the word of the Lord comes and says, Son of man, prophesy. Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. These are the thieves and robbers, right? Those that were supposed to be spiritually leading the people, and they're not. He says, prophesy against them, saying, Ah, shepherds of Israel, you've been feeding yourselves. Should not the shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat and you clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. They became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains, every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search and to seek for them. Now, this, Ezekiel is not talking about literal sheep in that moment. He's talking about people. He's talking about people. And the religious leaders hadn't shepherded them, hadn't cared for them. 
There were the weak that were being taken advantage of. There were the hurting and the suffering that they weren't caring for. There were the lost that they weren't seeking out. And, G- and, and God says, this is a problem. But then just a few verses later in Ezekiel 34, God's going to tell you this is the solution to this problem. There's lost out there. There's hurting out there. There's suffering out there. There's sin out there. How am I going to fix this problem? He tells us in verse 15, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weakened. And the fat and the strong, I'll destroy. I will feed them in justice. So when Jesus comes on the scene and he makes a statement, I'm the good shepherd, he's saying, I'm the Lord God who has come to bring back the strayed. I'm the one who's come to help the injured. I've come to seek the lost. This is what Jesus is saying in this moment. He is the good shepherd who does all of these things. Now, how does the shepherd do this? How does the shepherd do all of these things? Well, first, he becomes our substitute. And this takes us back to John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, Four times Jesus says that he's the good shepherd because he lays down his life for the sheep. I mean, if Jesus is going to say it four times, it's got to be important, right? Did you see it? In verse 11, I will lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 15, he says it again. Verse 18, verse 17, he's saying the same thing. I will lay down my life. Jesus is laying down his life. And it says he does it for the sheep. Now, there's different ways you could translate this little word for in the original language of Greek. But literally, it means instead of. He said, I'm the good shepherd and I will lay down my life instead of the sheep. He's saying, I will take their place. This is what Jesus does. This is the substitute that Jesus takes our place for our sin on the cross. This is the substitute that we should stand in awe of. Let's glory in this substitution for us. He died in the dark so that we could live in the light. He took our place on the cross so that we could have a crown. That's the substitute. He takes our punishment for our sin that we could have his reward of righteousness. That's the substitute. He died in our place for us. That is the substitute. And for many of us, we hear this, this idea of Christ being a substitute for us, or the, the idea that Christ died on the cross, he rose from the grave, and it doesn't stir our heart. If we're, we're honest, it doesn't stir our heart in the moment. And I think the reason why is for many of us, we don't understand our need for this. We come to church and we look at Jesus and we think, well, what I need out of Jesus is for him just to make a little better me. Just give me a little more morality, make me a little bit better person, and like, I'm good, Jesus. That's all I need from you. And so when we read this whole thing about like, he died on the cross and he rose from the grave, like, why do we care? Why did you have to die on the cross? Why did you have to raise from the grave? All we needed was a little sprinkling of goodness on us, Jesus. Why don't you just like sprinkle it out there? Why? But when you realize the reality of what God's word says we really are, We were dead in our sins and our trespasses. Dead. There was no hope for us. We needed life. We had no life. 
And so when you see Jesus come on the scene saying, I'm here to give you life and life abundantly, we're like, okay, that makes sense. He died in our place as our substitute. Now it matters. Wait, he rose from the grave, defeating sin and conquering death? Yes, let's praise God for that, right? That should make us excited because he stood in our place. He laid down his life for us. This must, or our affections for Jesus, must. Jesus was willing to give his life for us that we might be saved. And not only was he good shepherd by giving his life for us, he's a good shepherd because he knows us. Look at verse 14. It says, I'm the good shepherd, right? I know my own and my own know me. He even says up in verse 3 that he knows his sheep and he calls them by name. Put these two things together. Jesus laid down his life for you and he knows you. Jesus knows every single sin that you have committed. He knows the sin you're going to commit next week and next year. And Jesus still chose to lay down his life for you because he loves you, because he's the good shepherd that came to seek and to save that which was lost. He knows his sheep. This whole imagery of shepherd shows us that he's good because the way that the shepherd would interact with the sheep was an extremely personal way. Jesus didn't choose to use any other illustration to drive home this point in this moment. I mean, there's different kinds of images he could have used. He could have said, it's like raising cattle. Or raising camels. Or I could have been like a farmer that, that has horses and chickens. That's not what he uses because those aren't the most intimate personal terms. The shepherd, oh, he would spend 24 hours a day with the sheep. He would be out there and he would protect them. He would know them and call them by name. Jesus is saying, I'm like that shepherd. I know everything about the sheep. And yet I still love them. He knows us. He knows everything about us. He knows our routines. He knows our names. He knows our deepest faults and failures and insecurities. He knows the depths of our heart and he loves us nonetheless. This is the beauty of Jesus. He's still willing to lay down his life for you. And what I love about this, because of this personal image that we see and that he knows us by names is when we give an invitation when we invite somebody to respond to the gospel when Jesus gives this invitation now this is not a blanketed uh, invitation even at the end when we invite you to respond to the gospel it's not a blanket invitation at least not to Jesus and Jesus is like I know your name and I'm calling you forth Jesus when he stirs in your heart and he calls you to walk through the door and find eternal life and abundant life. He doesn't just speak in a general sense. Jesus would say, Molly, you come. Jeff, yeah, I'm calling you. I know you by name. Would you come? Roger, would you come to me? I'll be your substitute. I will lay down my life that you could have life and abundant life. May we not read the pages of Scripture, when we not hear invitation from the gospel and think, well, that's just a general invitation. No, God is calling you personally to respond. He's calling you to respond to the gospel. And he will save you. He can save you. 
Because he's the good shepherd. He gives this image in here of the shepherd, but may we not misunderstand this imagery. A lot of times we think of a shepherd as somebody meek and mild and a low and outcast. But Jesus is clear in here that he is a powerful shepherd. He is the all-powerful shepherd. Did you see what he says in verse 18? He's going to lay down his life for those who would believe in him and to walk through that door. But he says in verse 18, nobody takes it from me. Jesus is not a victim to the cross. He says, no one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Nobody takes it away from him. He chooses to lay it down. He says, I have authority to lay it down. And I have the authority to take it up again. He has the power and authority to do that. You see, Jesus and his goodness takes it to the next level. I mean, even this weekend, we remember Memorial Day, right? Those who gave their lives, those who were willing to risk their lives to defend freedom, right? That's what we remember. Those guys took steps forward to risk their lives. But there's a deeper level of of greatness and awe and wonder that we see in Jesus. Jesus didn't step from heaven to earth to risk his life. You realize that? Jesus left heaven coming to earth knowing that he was going to give his life. There was no risking. He knew he was going to lay it down, that he was going to give it up. And there are many of us that can say, hey, I have authority to lay down my life. I will give my life for something I believe in. But nobody in the history of the world can make the second statement. I have authority to take it up again. But Jesus has all power and all might. And so when he invites you and says, come, come listen as, my, as I call you, I can wipe away your sins. I can wipe away those stains. I can cleanse you of that guilt. He has the power to do it because he's the one that has all power and all authority from birth to death. He has authority over all things, over all creation. So he says here, yeah, I have the power to lay it down, and I will, but I also have the power to give it up, to take it up again. You see, don't, don't think that Jesus is a poor beggar. Oh, that poor shepherd just begging and pleading that somebody would please believe in him. That is not our God. Our God is the all-powerful one who says, come, follow me if you dare you dare and he invites us to do that and so I would say two points of application as we close if you have not taken that step of faith through the door which is Jesus Christ and believe that he died on the cross in your place somehow that counted for you and that he rose from the grave if you have not bowed your knee to that you haven't believed in that truth then please do that today and find life and abundant life You see, some of you have prayed half-hearted prayers in the past, or some of you have heard the Bible, and you're like, man, I've heard all these things, but I don't have life. Maybe it's because you've never taken the step through the door. Maybe it's never, you've never looked at the good shepherd and said, I'm going to submit my will and my way to you because your way is better, and you're offering me life and life eternal. Would you do that? And I'm going to give you a moment here to do that before the end of service. But for those of us that know the shepherd, that know Jesus, and and love him and know him as good and know him as the door, then would you be faithful to share this good news with others? Jesus in this passage tells us his heartbeat and his mission. Did you see it? In verse 16, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. He's speaking of the, the Jewish people that are listening to him in that moment. He says, I have others 
I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. You see that verse, verse 16, has spurred many people to be missionaries with their lives, with all their lives. There's one man that you might not be familiar with, might not be familiar with, lived in the 1800s, Peter Cameron Scott. And he lived his life as a missionary serving in Africa. And it got hard, it got difficult, he got discouraged because he lost a friend on the mission field. And so he went back to the States. And when he was back in the States, his brother died. He's discouraged and he's debating, should I even go back on the mission field? Should I even go back to Africa? And one day he was walking through Westminster Abbey and he saw these different tombstones. And on one of these tombstones, he saw of a man, David Livingstone. And on this tombstone, you can't, you see it on the screen, you might not be able to read it. But on the left side of that tombstone is John chapter 10, verse 16. You see, David Livingstone was a missionary as well to Africa. He gave his life sharing the gospel with those because he read this passage and he's like, Jesus saying there are some that must believe, that do not know. And so I'm gonna go and take the good news to them. And as Peter Cameron Scott read that verse and thought about that man, he's like, I'm going to return. And he goes back with this verse in his heart and he shares the good news with people. And he started this missionary organization called African Inland Mission. And for over 120 years, people have been sharing the gospel through this mission organization. They've seen more than 2 million people come to faith in Jesus Christ because someone read this verse and allowed this verse to spur them to share the gospel with those who don't know. So Westbury's church family, let me invite you to live on mission for Jesus Christ. And if you're thinking, I don't even know how to start, I don't even know how to start sharing the gospel with lost friends and unbelieving coworkers, then let me invite you to take a step this week to pray for one of them. To pray faithfully and consistently that God would open up a door for you to share the door of abundant life with them. And I promise you, God in his goodness and his grace will. So may we be faithful to take this good news of Jesus the good shepherd from neighborhoods to nations to the glory of our King. Bow your heads with me. I said for those who have not believed in Jesus as their good shepherd and have not walked through the door, that I would give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel. And listen carefully, the gospel demands a response. It does, it isn't just something that you listen and you don't do anything with, you can't be neutral, you respond to it. You receive it or reject it, but there's no middle ground. And so I would invite you today, if that's you, if God's been working on your heart, if he's called you by name to come and follow him that you would take that step of faith that you would take that step of faith today and pray that God would save you you don't have to to know and understand everything about him you just have to know and understand the truth that he's calling you that he's your substitute that died on the cross for your sins and so confess those sins to him right now confess those sins to him and ask him to forgive you of those sins 
the sins of worry, sins of complaining, sins of lust, the sins of busyness and neglect, the sins of apathy to him and his word. Confess those things and he is faithful and just to forgive you of those sins. And his resurrection is proof, is assurance that he will give you that life and that eternal life. So pray right now and Jesus will save you. If you're still struggling and you have questions, right after service, we have an area called Next Steps where you take those next steps of faith. You can go back there and you can ask your questions. You can bring your concerns. You need to know God's not scared of your questions. He's the all-powerful one. He's the all-knowing one. So bring those to him. Bring those to him. We'd love to dialogue about what it means to trust in Jesus as your good shepherd. For those of you that know Jesus, may you respond in faith this week to share the good news of the good shepherd with those who don't know. There are many more that must hear and believe. Would you help to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ in your life for his glory? Jesus, we look to you now, knowing that apart from you, we can do nothing. Apart from you, we can't save ourselves. Apart from you, we're not gonna lead anybody else to salvation. Only you can open the eyes of the blind, Lord. Only you can soften a hard heart. And so, Lord, thank you that you've done that for many in this room. And help us to be faithful, to walk in boldness and in confidence, to know, God, that you are our good shepherd that has called us by name and has led us on mission for you. Lord, may we, may we respond to the gospel now as we sing, as we bring our best, our gift, our offering to you, and as we pray to you. May we respond to the gospel now. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing to him now.